The following audio is from North Pine Baptist Church. We trust that this recording will help you learn more about God and His message for the world. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au. I want to talk to you this morning quickly about identity. You know, identity uh, is actually, uh, I guess we understand our identity, um, you know, to be that which, you know, we uh, not only has sort of you know, formed from, from outside of us, we have people who sort of have an idea of who we are, but, but ultimately our identity is actually who we see and understand ourselves to be. You know, over the course of our lives, each of, our, each of us in, in terms of our identity is being formed and shaped by the world around us through individual experiences, through the relationships that we have, and through cultural influences and things like that. You know, identity language is the heart language of our culture. You only need to look at the news this week in order to see that. The predominant philosophy of our culture today urges us to know ourselves, to be ourselves, and to stay true to ourselves. I mean, how often do we hear the words, I am who I see and understand myself to be? So many people saying that today, regardless of any other factors. Our culture tells us to look inside to construct our own identity. You know, our identity is often uh, formed and fashioned by our feelings and emotions, And although those things are are powerful keys, if you like, to our self-understanding and identity, they're not really reliable sources of truth. Why? Well, it's because they change so often and can bypass logic and even reality. Just because something feels true does not make it true. What we need is a better way to understand our identity and to shape it, something that is not based just on our feelings and circumstances which change, but on something that does not change. Rather than focusing on who we are, we need to understand whose we are. As author and theologian Tim Keller states, We need someone from the outside to name us and give us the sense of worth we inherently crave. Folks, over these coming weeks, we're going to be taking a journey through Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And this letter not only lays out wonderful truths about our identity as children of God, but it also shows us how that identity is then lived out in the context of our day-to-day lives in this world, whether that be in the church, in our workplaces, in our homes, no matter where we are. You know, for the Apostle Paul who wrote this letter, he says, a believer's identity is anchored in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And hence the title of this particular preaching series, Life in Christ. And I trust that as we work through this letter together in these coming weeks, you'll begin to discover afresh how much, uh, uh, sorry, how much greater fashion the glorious wonder and of knowing that the best foundation of our identity is found in Jesus Christ. I pray too that we will not only grasp this in our minds and in our understandings, but it, it will also really embed itself in our hearts 
to transform how we view ourselves and how we view others, how we view our circumstances. And I pray that it'll help us to live more fulfilling and God-honouring lives. Ephesians 1 verses 3 to 14, which we're going to be looking at this morning, would have to be one of the richest passages about identity in the whole of the Bible. And in it we discover the incredible love and grace of God and the immeasurable worth that he gives to those who are in Christ. It's amazing the difference it makes in one's life when they begin to understand that they really matter. That they are the object of a love and acceptance that is based not on anything within themselves not based on performance or ability or a lack thereof or based on on appearance or likability or anything along those lines, but instead it's based purely on the determined will of the one who is showing love, the one who does not change his mind, the one who remains true to his promises. Of course, that one we're speaking about is God the Father. So if you've got your Bibles with me this morning, you might like to turn with me to Ephesians 1, and we're going to read verses 3 through to 14 together. Ephesians 1, commencing at verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, and to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. As we begin this passage this morning, we see first and foremost that uh, the source of these blessings that Paul talks about, the source of the blessing is God the Father. You know, this, uh, these verses we've just read in, in the original language, in the Greek language, form one long sentence in which the Apostle Paul seeks to praise and glorify God because he has given believers every spiritual blessing in Christ. Let me just go back there for a minute. There we are. 
It is at the initiative of God the Father that these blessings are made possible and made available to us. In fact, these verses, they form a song of praise to God by the Apostle Paul because of the God's decision to pour out his love and blessing on his people. You know, these verses have been described as an outburst of, of adoration, a cascade of continuous praise, highlighting the, the, the vast kaleidoscope of the riches of God's love and grace towards us. These magnificent blessings are laid out for us one after the other here. It's like a, a fireworks display, if you like, where one explosion of, of colour and, and beauty is surpassed by the next and the next and so on. And as we, open, as we come to this passage this morning, we see that God's love and his grace is immediately seen in his choosing us and predestining us for adoption as sons. We see that in verses 4 and 5 this morning of this passage. And here, folks, is where we begin to tread on ground that is both awe-inspiring and at the same time troubling and confusing to many. I mean, we're talking about what's called the doctrine of election. It's to do with God's sovereign choice in salvation. And regardless of the difficulty that we, we might have with this, the Bible clearly states that God sovereignly chooses. We see it in God's choosing of Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis 25, we see it in God's sovereign choosing of Jacob over Esau. We, and that's uh, spoken of uh, later on in the New Testament in Romans 9. We see it in God's choice of Israel in Deuteronomy 7. You know, salvation begins with God, not with man. In fact, John chapter 15 and verse 16, when Jesus, having chosen his disciples, said, You did not choose me, but I chose you. Folks, the thing we need to understand from a biblical point of view is that the, the lost sinner, if left to his own ways, does not seek after God and will not seek after God. In fact, Romans 3.11 and Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1 remind us of this fact. And, you know, this sort of thing might raise all kinds of questions in our minds about how God's sovereign choosing works. And we don't have time to get into that today. I mean, but what we need to understand is the mystery of God's sovereignty and of man's free will and human responsibility has perplexed the minds of humanity for centuries and I'm sure will not be solved in this life. Both things we need to understand are taught in the Bible. God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. Both are true and both are essential. But Paul's aim here in this passage is not to go into all of that. Instead, what, he's, what his, aim here is, his aim here is not to start all kinds of theological debates, but it is instead to assure believers of God's decision to make them the objects of his love. And he did this not based on anything within ourselves that merited that. You know, when we choose something, we generally base our choice on what it can offer us. However, when it came to God choosing us, he wasn't impressed by what we could offer him. 
In fact, we had nothing at all to offer. We're talking about election, not selection. You know, all of our lives, we're subject to the painful process of human selection, aren't we? We we are constantly being measured and judged to be either worthy or unworthy according to fickle human standards. I mean, can you imagine if God uses this selection by merit process that, that people use today in our society, in our world? What if God lined us all up against the wall and compared us against each other, trying to decide which one of us should get, to be, should get the nod to be his children? God chose you not by merit, but purely because of his grace. And he chose to love you because of who he is, not because of who we are. The apostle tells us that this choice of God happened before the very foundations of the world. We see that in verse 4. That is before anything was even created. Folks, well, for the Christian, we need to remember that God had us in mind way back in eternity past before we could or could not do anything to warrant or to deter his love and affection. Passage says, tells us that he chose us in Christ, not in ourselves, meaning that it is on the basis of Christ's righteousness and not our own that God has chosen to show his love towards us. And the Apostle tells us that this choice of, uh, not only did God choose us because of his love, but that he also predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ because of that same love. And we see that in verse 5. God's predetermined destiny, if you like, for those who he chose, was that they would be adopted into his family as his children. You know, that word adopted implies that we were, we were not always a part of God's family. Something had to happen in order for us to become part of the family of God, to be his child. You know, in our, our own context today, for, for a child to be adopted, it means that, that, that someone has to take the initiative to begin that adoption process. The child does not start that on their own but that someone from outside of that child does that. And when it comes to our adoption as as God's children, we see that God has taken that initiative himself. And he took it by sending his son, the Lord Jesus, to die for our sins. That this redemption, if you like, came through his precious blood. We see that in verse 7 this morning in this passage here in Ephesians 1. Folks, this... This choice of God to, to, to love us and to adopt us into his, into his family came at an incredibly great price to himself. And it is this redemption that God has secured for us that brings us not only adoption to his family, but forgiveness of sins. It cleanses us from all our unrighteousness and it frees us from the guilt and shame we feel because of our sin. We can stand confidently knowing that God no longer holds us guilty because of our sin. 
And we no longer stand under the wrath and the rightful judgment of God. But instead, in Christ, we are declared not guilty and counted as righteous in his sight. As this passage reminds us, we are made holy and blameless, which, of course, was God's purpose for us right from the very beginning. You know, when a person repents and puts their faith in trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour, they automatically receive forgiveness of their sins. They automatically become adopted into the family of God and receive all of the benefits of belonging to that family. They're heirs of a glorious eternal inheritance in Christ. And as you go down the passage, you'll come to verse 11, which speaks very much of that inheritance, where it says, in him, that is in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purposes of God, who works all things according to the counsel of his will. It's no wonder then that Paul speaks of these things as aspects of the riches of God's grace that he has lavished on us. Look at verse 7 and verse 8. It says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, or the forgiveness of trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. That word lavish, I just love it. It speaks very much of a, uh, an, uh, the idea of, of extravagance, of overflowing generosity, of something which is literally smothered by God's love. 1 John 3.1 reminds us, it says, Behold what manner of love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God. And that is indeed what we are. That's the kind of rich grace that we have received from God in his mercy. Verses 9 and 10 go on to speak of the fact that God has also made known to his chosen people his will and purposes in this world. You know, in these verses, Paul informs his readers that Christians have had revealed to them the mystery of God's will. God has made known to those who have surrendered their lives to Jesus his plans for the world. God has made known to those of us who have come to a saving faith in him his, his divine plan of salvation that is being worked out from eternity past and will find its culmination there in eternity to come. You know, usually when we think of something as a mystery, it means that that something is unknowable. But when we find that that word mystery in the Bible, it so often speaks of something which has been kept hidden, but then has been revealed. And that's what Paul is saying here, that up until you know, Christ came, God's mystery of, of his salva- plan of salvation had, had been very much hidden. But when Christ came, it became known. And with a spiritual understanding that God gives us, we can now know not only the the, the depth and the seriousness of our sin, but we can know God's plan of salvation, how he deals with that sin, and that he is working all things together in this world to finally culminate in the the returning of Christ and bringing everything under the, the authority and the rulership of Christ forever. Of course, this is only comprehensible to the person who has faith. 
You know, there's going to come a day, folks, when every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That is the goal and the purpose with which God is moving all of history towards. And, uh, and every one of us is caught up in that, but it's only going to be those who put their saving faith in Jesus who will be able to rejoice in that when that day finally comes. God the Father is the source of all blessing. But of course, the sphere of that blessing is his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we've seen already, these amazing blessings which come to us from the Father are tied explicitly to the Son and in connection with Him. He is the sphere in which these blessings are bestowed. Eleven times in these verses, we read the phrase, either in Christ or in Him or in the Beloved, all referring to the same thing. Christ is the one who secures God's blessings and he is the one in whom we experience all of these blessings of God. And apart from Christ, these blessings are out of reach to us. Going back to verse 3 again, Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I mean, this describes both the the kinds of blessings, that is the spiritual, as well as the location of those blessings in Christ. They are spiritual blessings in that they have a quality about them that places them far above any material blessing. They are eternal blessings. In other words, they last forever. They don't wear out And they are spiritual because they are applied to us by means of the Holy Spirit of God. And we're going to see that in a minute in verses 13 and 14. And these spiritual blessings are are ours in the heavenly places because that is where Christ is. Ephesians 2 verse 6 speaks about the fact that we have been raised with Christ and seated with him in these heavenly places. So as as believers, because we are so intimately connected with Christ, we can say that where Jesus is, we are also. You know, our physical address may be here on earth, but our spiritual address is in heaven with Christ. And we can rest assured in knowing that all of these blessings, which are ours now, we we will finally see the fulfillment of those and the culmination of those and the fullness of those when we will be with Christ one day. And that day is guaranteed by God. It is assured to us by God because he's saying that these blessings have already been bestowed upon us. Paul is speaking here in the past tense where he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. These things are already a reality. And where Christ is, that that inheritance is kept in heaven for for us now. And we are joined to Christ. It's as though, although we are here on earth, we're kind of like this imaginary rubber band, if you like, that connects us with Christ. And one day, that rubber band is going to snap back and take us to be with Christ, where we'll be joined with him forever and ever in heaven. Folks, we are on a journey home. We are citizens of heaven. Philippians 3, 20 and 21 remind us of that. 
It says, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. We can be assured that these blessings are already ours and, uh, and that we, because we are joined with Christ, they are, we are confident in the, in the assurance that God, we will never lose them, that God can never take them away from us. You know, one of the things which I sometimes uh, struggle with, and I'm sure many uh, do over times, is you know, you know, when, we, when, we, when we fail, when we sin, when we, we know that we, we go off on our own way and we, we get away from God and we, we come back to God and we repent of the same thing over and over and over again, we wonder, why you know, would God ever be so patient with us? And we think that there's got to come a time where God's going to just do away with us. Well, this passage reminds us afresh today that that will never be the case that we are firmly and securely in the hands of God. And because it has been him who has chosen us despite ourselves, because he has chosen to show his love and affection towards us, because he is true to his promises, we can never lose those blessings. Of course, that particular guarantee we see uh, very much uh, here in this passage in verses 13 and 14 where we see the seal of God's blessing, his Holy Spirit. See, these spiritual blessings which Paul speaks about here are ours in Christ and are guaranteed to us because of God's Spirit in verses 13 and 14. It says that in Christ we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. And then he goes on to say, in him... You also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Paul says that when, when a person, when any person responds to the message of the gospel and accepts the truth about God and the seriousness of their sin, they are automatically included in Christ. They become partakers in all that Christ has accomplished through his death and resurre resurrection. It's a personal salvation dependent wholly upon belief. That's what Paul says here. When we believed. That person automatically then becomes a member of the family of God, a child of God. And at that very moment of conversion, we receive God's promised Holy Spirit who comes to live inside of us. And it is God's Holy Spirit who Paul says here is then God's seal of ownership, his stamp, if you like, of ownership on us. God is saying, you are mine. He places his Holy Spirit on it. It's as though God is putting his banner of ownership over us, over our lives. But not only is it God's seal of ownership, but, it, but the Holy Spirit is also a deposit. He is a down payment, if you like, of God's, uh, uh, God's promises to us. 
You know, when we put a, a deposit on an item, whether it be a, a house or a lay-by item in, in the supermarket or whatever, it means that we intend to make the final payment and take possession of that item. Here we see that the Holy Spirit is God's down payment, guaranteeing to his children that he will finish his work of salvation and bring them home to glory. Folks, throughout this section, there is this underlying premise, if you like, of, of the now and the, and, and, and the not yet, what is to come, if you like. And we experience the blessing of all of these things. All of these blessings are ours now. But there is the fact that the total realisation of these blessings awaits a time in the future when we will finally be in the presence of God forever. We have been saved we are being saved and we will be saved. That is the message of the gospel. So as we come to the end of our time together this morning, let's, let's kind of tie all this together, shall we? You know, God in his amazing love and grace has sought to bring people into relationship with himself. And he's accomplished that through his son, Jesus Christ, through his, through his life, death, resurrection and ascension. And when we reflect on these blessings that are available to, to those who are in Christ, we see the incredible value that God places on us and the lengths that God will go to to bring us to himself. And he does this despite our failures, despite our disobedience, and even despite our sometimes rebellion towards him. God has set his affection and love and grace and kindness on us. And he did that purely through his own choice. There is nothing in ourselves that can, could ever earn that. There's nothing in ourselves that could ever merit that in any way, shape or form. But it is purely that God decided from eternity past to set his affection on us, to call us to be a part of his family. And that should give us an amazing and wonderful assurance in our lives today. That no matter what goes wrong, no matter what happens in our life, no matter how far off track we get sometimes, God says, you are mine. I love you and I'm bringing you to myself. And one day you will know the fullness of that salvation surely this surely this is a reason to rejoice in and praise god for amen let's pray father we thank you this morning for this wonderful passage here in ephesians that reminds us lord very much of your incredible love and mercy and grace Lord, it is grace because it is so undeserving from our perspective. The fact that you, the righteous and holy and awesome God, would seek to, to, to pour out his affection towards us, Lord, that just blows our minds. Especially when we we consider ourselves, we know, Lord, the, uh, the things in our lives which we're ashamed of. 
Lord, we know the deep, dark secrets that we keep hidden from everyone else. But those things aren't hidden from you. And despite all these things, you have chosen us. Lord, we thank you that through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and through faith in him, Lord, that we can be recipients of all of these blessings. And Lord, we thank you that those blessings are not just for the here and now, but Lord, those blessings are guaranteed to us in the future. And Lord, we look forward to that day when we will indeed be in the presence of God, rejoicing and praising you forever and ever and ever. Amen. Thanks for listening to this audio from North Pine Baptist Church. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au.